Sunday. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. One day right down in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream. Welcome to the Ambassador Podcast a resource created by a community of Christians seeking to represent God to a watching world in humility, unity, and boldness. Our goal is to educate, be educated, encourage, be encouraged, challenge, and be challenged as we pursue a heavenward perspective of God's heart for racial equity and reconciliation rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Ambassador Podcast, and thank you for joining us for our very first interview of season three. I am your host, Jared Cole, and I'm excited to be back in the saddle uh, with things coming up that we have here. Uh, There will be another line of heavy hitters that represent the Christian faith and help us dive into deeper conversation about some of the divisions and injustices that surround us. If you haven't listened to the kickoff episode, we have the very first episode just prior to this one here on season three. Uh, Go ahead and check that out if you haven't. It's a very short episode, but it's packed with a lot of good things. It lets you know uh, what the ambassador's been up to since season two. Uh, It lets you know what we're going to be doing here in the future, man. We have uh, since season two turned into a nonprofit. We will be rolling out a blog here soon. We've updated our mission and vision, and we also have merch for sale and much more. Man, since this project has been underway, the Lord has been kind to us. He's been blessing these efforts and we're excited and eager uh, to see what happens next. So if this is your first time tuning in to The Ambassador, what you can expect from us is always biblically informed, honest dialogue and open conversations. And what we're aiming to do is create a space where tough conversations are the norm and where we can come together in humility, unity and boldness. So let's jump right in. This is our next interview. On today's episode, we have Pastor uh, Raymond Chang, who is currently the president of the Asian American Christian uh, Collaborative. He's a campus minister at Wheaton College out in Chicago. Uh, He is an author. Uh, He is a writer. And one of his most recently published contributions is one of the best chapters, in my opinion, uh, in my most recent read, Ministers of Reconciliation, uh, Preaching on Race and the Gospel. It's a phenomenal work. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, He is a husband, uh, and he shares a like mind and a like heart in addressing the issues that we address here uh, with race, justice, uh, and religion and cultural issues in a way that pursue reconciliation. Pastor Raymond, thank you for joining us, man. Uh, thank you so much, Jared. It's, it's great to be with you. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So before we dive into uh, all the meat of the questions that we have here, man, I just, I just want to break some of the ice here with you. Uh, so you are located out there in the Chicagoland area. Uh, what I do know about Chicago is uh, not many things, but I know that they have a lot of good food out there. Uh, and so, man, say I'm out there in Chicago with you. Uh, man, we're having an evening together and we're going out to dinner. Where in the world are you taking us to go eat? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I want to say <laughs> thanks for reading uh, the stuff that I write. You know, as a writer, you never know if uh, anyone yeah, actually yeah. Uh, takes the time to, to read. And so appreciate mm-hmm. that, that you found it helpful. Um, 
especially because I've uh, there, it, it was released that that chapter or that book was released during the pandemic, so we didn't hear much sure. about how it was doing and things like that. So appreciate it. Pick it up. Huh. Um, with that said, if if you came to Chicago, which I hope you do, uh, we we'd probably do like a we'd do one of two things. We'd either go uh, to to Little Village and eat some like really good Mexican food, um, mm. or eat some um, decent Korean food. Chicago doesn't have a lot of good Korean food because LA and uh, Virginia and Atlanta and um, and New Jersey have some of the best Korean food. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we'd have some, we could have some decent Korean food. Uh, I, I'd skip the deep dish pizza. I know that's kind of sacrilegious uh, and offensive to a lot of Chicagoans, but there's a place called Chicago pizza oven grinder. They have an upside down pizza. It's so delicious. Ooh. They basically bake a pizza upside down. Uh, and it's a, it's like a, it's like a pound of pizza that that's okay. personalized uh, with a full kind of button mushroom inside it. Um, and then wow. of course we'd probably hit up Chinatown and a few other places. So there's a lot of good stuff to do and eat. Uh, and then there's, okay. a, there's a lot of good, like new American food. So I just, I just, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good food to eat around here. Okay. Oh, that's dope. I gotta, I gotta get your opinion on, uh, is it Portillo's? That's Portillo's. the, uh, Portillo's. <laughs> yeah. That's the hot dog Portillo's joint. Yo, I, I, I gotta, yeah. I gotta get your opinion on Portillo's, man. I mean, it's a good, uh, it's good go-to. It's, it's kind of like uh, going to uh, going to the south and eating Whataburger. You know, you just oh, do it when you're there. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know if it's the that, best thing. Yo, in the world, that, but it's pretty good. Okay, that that makes that makes a lot of sense, right? So I'm I'm from Kansas City originally. Uh, got to Iowa from a scholarship to play basketball, man. And I was in university of Iowa and Iowa city. Uh, and a lot of those students come from the Chicago land area. Right. And so like, they're talking about Portillo's, <laughs> right? Like you got to try Portillo's when you go that way, you got to hit Portillo's, but yeah, what you're making is making a, a lot of sense right now. So I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I get that. I mean, I will say Chicago does have a decent food scene. I mean, we have some of the best restaurants in the world here, but yeah, um, I, I don't know. You just, you just can't compare when you are talking about, uh, fre- the freshest ingredients from, you know, yeah. ca- out, of that, out of California or, yeah. you know, just the fresh seafood that you can get on the coasts. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah, a little yeah. bit different. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Chicago, I love Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still some of my, back in the winters. some of my friends, uh, in the summertime, there's the taste of Chicago, uh, yeah. that happens. Right. Like I hear, I hear that's a phenomenal scene, right? This kind of free to entry, you know, you go around, you taste, uh, all the different food Chicago has to offer, man. I hear that's a great scene to, to stop by. Yeah. I mean, there's, we have, a, we have the jazz fest, we have the taste of Chicago, uh, you know, when, when the pandemic's over, you know, there's, if you like, uh, kind of pop music and rock music and all that stuff it the, the Lollapalooza yeah. and you have like, you know, the bulls and the, the hawks there you go. and there you go. That's the that's the redemption of Chicago I'm talking about right there. <laughs> Let's go. You got some good. You got some like awesome fans. Chicago has great fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. All right, man. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Give us a little overview about uh, when you became a believer, uh, that sort of stuff, and what you're doing now, and how you got there, man, out in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, so. I, 
uh, I was born and raised in Chicago, but to uh, Christian parents um, that were fifth and sixth generation Christian. So I'm I'm either sixth and seventh. So they were either fifth and sixth generation or sixth and seventh generation, which makes me either sixth and seventh generation or seventh and eighth generation. I'm still trying to figure that out with my family because it's a, it's, it's quite a precious thing to have faith handed down from generation to generation. And, um, and, and I, I, especially as a, as a Korean American, um, you know, it's, it's just not that common to have this many generations, uh, kind of professing the faith, Jesus. And so, um, I, I was born and raised in a Christian home. Uh, always went to church, uh, went to immigrant churches all my life, immigrant Korean, American Korean churches, Korean American churches. Um, and so I uh, navigated the dynamics between the generations, between the language issues, between immigrant realities and things like that. Um, was extremely blessed by the generosity of uh, the first generation believers who, who, who sacrificed so much, you know, so yeah. that the second generation could, could flourish and thrive in, in ways that they really couldn't. Um, and then, um, you know, I think as with many other people started deepening my faith, uh, over time and, and grew in faith, uh, especially as I kept walking with the Lord, um, in, in seasons of, of, of intimacy and in, and in seasons where I was, uh, kind of looking away and turning away and looking mm-hmm. towards other things. And so, uh, God has always been faithful and I'm, and I'm so grateful for that. Amen. Um, but you know, I lived all around the world. Uh, I lived in Chicago, Korea, Hawaii, California, Guatemala, Panama, Spain, China, uh, and probably a few other places uh, that I'm just not thinking of right now. And and uh, have seen a lot, you know, in the world. Uh, traveled quite a bit, uh, and I'm really grateful that I've been able to do so. I currently yeah. work, uh, uh, or I currently serve as the the president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. And then also work as a campus pastor at Wheaton College, um, overseeing our discipleship efforts. And so uh, really yeah. helping people uh, kind of understand and grow in faith and, and, and point, helping people learn how to point others to Jesus uh, and, yeah. and, and encourage them to walk as Jesus walked. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate that. Um, man, we're we're so thankful <laughs> that that God has called you to this, man, and appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, uh one of the things you mentioned is how well traveled you are. Uh, you know, we we share that a little bit. I I got a chance to play professional basketball overseas, and so I have uh, traveled over there. I've seen some different places, and you know, from Iceland to France to Spain to Italy, Germany, Greece, Belgium, just traveled around that region. Uh, and man, traveling has been uh, uh, some of the you know the the biggest catalytic moments. You know, traveling has given that to me in terms of you know, my walk and my faith in Jesus Christ and, and what he's given me in terms of passions and convictions, man. So uh, I'd love to hear what all that travel uh, and being in those different cultures has done in terms of uh, your walk with Christ and how you live out your faith. Yeah. I mean, every, every country you named, except for Iceland, I've been, and I'm just like, I think of the restaurants. I think of the food. <laughs> so I might have a little idolatry of food uh, in terms of. Hey, I think don't I we travel. All, man. <laughs> right. there, are, there are basically two things I travel for. It's 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 or three things. Uh, you know the the food, the culture, which includes the history, uh, and yep. then of course you know the beautiful scenery, buildings, and all that stuff. Um, but I think the thing that you gain when you travel is you get a glimpse of God's creativity. Yeah. That. He's not yeah, so stale good. that he only expresses himself in one way or one yep. kind of manner, but that uh-huh. he reveals himself in so many different ways and different manners. Um, and especially when the 
cultures and the people within the culture are kind of submitted to the lordship of Jesus, you see how it actually it enhances the flavor of of each place, of each region, of 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 each people group. Um and, and shows how important it is to uh, celebrate the diversity within within the body of Christ. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that's something that you know I, I've really grown to appreciate. Uh, and it's also made me uh, become more thoughtful about what other people go through because mm-hmm. we do tend to move towards uh, homogeneity, whether it's uh, along issues of race, uh, gender, class, or whatever it is. And we kind of only see things from... From the people who are from the from from the perspective of people who already agree with us or yep, yep. are facing the same things that we are, and I found especially like interacting with people all around the world in terms of the global church that they're asking questions, the a lot deep theological questions, deep cultural questions, uh, deep questions about personal and public faith and witness that I think we in the United States uh, need to be contending with more. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really good. I think, yeah, right along those same lines, man, like is traveling just really opens up your mind, your vision to some of those things, right? Mission trips are really important uh, for those reasons, but also, man, spending long-term time <laughs> overseas and, and divesting from your own culture to kind of dive into another. Uh, it's, it's huge, man, from the language to the culture, to the food, to the uh, man, to the hospitality, you know, all of it is, is used to kind of broaden your, 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 your horizon and your view on how to think about different cultures. So here in, uh, here in America, man, we find ourselves in a really diverse place, <laughs> but we also find ourselves in a really hostile place, right? So what we do on the ambassador podcast is, man, we just open up these conversations and talk about these issues. Uh, you know, like I know that usually whenever we talk about race, we talk about it from a, a, a binary perspective, you know, in, in, in America, it's usually this black, white binary, uh, that we talk about race and racism and all these different kinds of issues. Um, but you yourself, you are, uh, an Asian American man. Uh, and, and I know that you have your experiences just like I have my experiences. Right. And so, uh, one of the first questions I want to toss up to you is when was the first time that you realized that we lived in a, in a racial hostile uh, country. I mean, so we have to understand that race and racism is not just, um, an American project per se. I mean, you see how it's evolved over time. It emerged really in a lot of ways out of Europe. Um, and, and the church actually participated in that work, uh, and then how it morphed, you know, in, in ways that it created hierarchies of um, who, who, who matters and who doesn't matter, who's important, who's not important, who's valued and who's not valued. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that has really taken uh, a, a unique form when kind of the racial categories as we know them have been created, right? Where mm-hmm. white is on top and black is on the bottom. That's right. Uh, and then people don't often know what to do with uh, Latinos or, or Native Americans or even Asians. Um, and, and you see how that kind of transformed, uh, the landscape of, uh, of even places like South Africa, where I had the fortune of, of visiting a couple of years ago with my PhD program, yeah. where we, where we basically learned, you know, like one of the things that we learned, uh, pretty quickly is how, you know, 
apartheid system in South Africa uh, really took uh, some significant um, uh, lessons from Nazi Germany and uh, and and Jim Crow segregation uh, in the U.S. Uh, yeah. and then basically said we're going to create something along these lines uh, and 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 married it in a lot of ways with uh, some of the things that we saw in terms of like. Uh, 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 like a like um, like a reformed theology, you know, especially right, right. You know, like uh, Abraham Kuyper and uh, in the ways that uh, his theology shapes some of kind of the racial uh, divisions and uh, the hierarchies uh, in South Africa. So uh, race is not just um, uh, categories that exist in the United States, but it, it sure. really has uh, been exported uh, and and transported all around the world. Sure. Um, with that said, you know, whiteness is kind of a reality that we have to kind of take into consideration, which is this notion that, uh, there are people whose voices matter more, uh, whose mm-hmm. perspectives are more significant and things of that nature. Uh, but when I, the thing about being a kind of Asian American or Korean American more specifically is that, you know, whenever I traveled elsewhere, I expected to feel like a foreigner. Yeah. I just never expected to feel like a foreigner in my own country. That's right. It's the United States. And so when I'm treated a different way um, than other people are that look differently than me, it made me wonder what made me a lesser human being or a second class citizen. When people would ask me, you know, why my food smelled so funny or, Mm -hmm. you know, why my parents couldn't speak English so well or Mm -hmm. X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. um, Instead of looking at the unique histories that have shaped kind of our realities, uh, uh, value judgments were placed on uh on certain markers and that automatically meant that this or that person was uh, a lesser human being in a lot of ways um i think because of that um i would say that the place that i've most felt racism is the united states even though that it's not exclusive to the u.s and unfortunately, the place that it, it seemed sharpest, and it's possibly because, you know, it's it's in the spaces that I most occupy. It's, it's in the spaces where, you know, white evangelicalism is the norm, where evangelicalism has been co-opted by whiteness, which many today are actually saying that evangelicalism has always been kind of co-opted by whiteness, mm-hmm. you know, which there's many historical arguments that, that would uh, attest to that. Um, and, and the syncretism between kind of evangelical Christianity and whiteness is something that we have to really think through and consider and ask why, you know, it is so and what we need to do to, um, allow the, the evangelical movement to primarily be about the evangel or the gospel of Jesus instead of this racial uh, caste system. Yeah, that's really good. I think... Uh, that's a great distinction, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's unfortunate that we have to put the term white in front of evangelicalism, but it's like the culture has, has put itself right kind of in front of that reality for us. Um, can you, can you a little bit just kind of unpack uh, what you mean by white evangelicalism or just whiteness in general, just to uh, give us some grounds to be uh, dealing with? Yeah, I, I love what Willie James Jennings writes. Um, yeah. he, 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 he says, my use of the term whiteness does not refer to people of European descent or people that have quote unquote white features, yep. uh, but as a way of 
uh, but to but but whiteness uh, refers to a way of being in the world and seeing in the world that forms cognitive and affective structures able to That's seduce really people into its, into its habitation and its meaning making. Yeah. So uh, the, one of the ways I, I primarily describe whiteness is that it's not necessarily tied to 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 phenotype. Uh, even though it's the phenotype has often been weaponized by whiteness to say this person is acceptable and this person is less than acceptable. Um, but that it's, it's a, uh, it's a form of, uh, of sorting and categorizing and then placing on a, on a hierarchical structure, um, who has more credibility, who has more credence, who has more uh, authority um, sure. and who, who belongs more. And so the, the kind of the ultimate, outcomes of whiteness are these two demands. It's either you assimilate into mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. or you get annihilated by it. Yeah. Right. Sure. And so you, you either assimilate into it, which means that you oftentimes have to, as a person of color, deny a lot of your own experiences, deny yeah. the experiences of many people within the community, deny mm-hmm. um, like the fact that, you know, that there are specific patterns that continue to emerge around uh, the racialization that, 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 has kind of established that been established in the broader imagination uh, in order to be accepted. Yeah. Or you get slowly either, either violently pushed out or, or basically executed, or you get kind of trickled out through kind of being silenced or, or uh, excluded in, in very subtle and, um, and, and, and uh, unchristianly ways. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, a, a lot of conversation, you know, especially when this conversation started heating up among um, evangelicalism over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, there's been, you know, especially in 2020, there was a hard push. I, I know you remember this, man. Like, there, you couldn't find any of the books that were talking about this stuff on the shelf, <laughs> you know? And so at least there was like, this grasp for a book to read and see, okay, what have I been missing? Uh, even if there weren't real action steps taken with feet, right? There was action steps taken with the mind, you know? And so what you started to hear was, was, oh man, like I'm starting to believe something new. I'm starting to think something new. I'm starting to see a different way. Uh, and so what I've realized is that, and you can probably attest to this too, is, is that with, with whiteness or white evangelicalism, the analogy that's starting to be used is fish swimming in water, <laughs> you know? Like there's this fish swimming in water aspect where it's, hey, you, you've you been swimming in water this whole time. You ask a fish, you know, uh, how's the water? The fish is going to be like, what water? You know, you know this, is, this, is, this is all I know, you know? And so when we talk about, uh, whiteness and white evangelicalism and the effects that it has. Uh, do, do you think it's a it's a charitable outlook to be like, you know, there's 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 got to be this this kind of this cognitive reality that has to take place, and that doesn't happen naturally, but it takes effort, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and how do we how do we step into that space with our white brothers and sisters? Yeah, I mean, I I think that you're seeing a greater um, number of "Quote unquote white allies, right, or 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 sure. friends that would have historically or even to this day identify uh, themselves on the census as white, you know, um, and so 
I think that there is a sense that there are more and more people that are like, okay, th- uh, clearly things have to change and yep. uh, we need to be a part of the solution to kind of, if, especially if they're Christian to live into the unity that God has already established on our yep. behalf yep. Uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, otherwise we're a hindrance, right? Or yeah. we're a stumbling block. Uh, and then you're seeing another group of people uh, that would, check off white in their in on the census that would basically say no all this stuff is uh is is liberal marxist x y and z garbage it's satanic and it's communism veiled in something x y and z and social justice is this and that and and they'll just basically um it's a form of what a lot of people these days are calling the red scare right whenever it challenges the the racial status quo Instead of actually looking at the, the calls to action based on their merits and taking seriously the the experiences of their brothers and sisters, especially if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, or mm-hmm. if they're people that are just in the margins or vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, instead of taking what they're saying seriously, it's this need to reinterpret and impose wow. their own explanation of of yep. of yep. things based on the fact that they don't have an interpretive lens that can see the things hmm. uh accurately because they themselves have been spared from a lot of these experiences um and essentially like deny or minimize or discount um what many people are going through and so we're seeing this major division take place within the Christian world, especially within the evangelical world, or more specifically the white evangelical world, um, where, where, where people are just um, um, uh, doubling down on kind of the racialized status quo, yeah. um, or they're actually moving towards uh, kind of humble listening and uh, a genuine love for their neighbor. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, and man, I've been part of my prayers, man, man, we need we need more and more people to start moving towards that that ladder, you know. Um, and a lot of the reason why that doesn't take place, right, is is lack of proximity, <laughs> you know. Like if if you're not around, if you're not with, if you're not doing life with others who are who are who are different than you, then the cultural narrative that comes from the powers that be or whoever are going to overpower your actual uh, a relationship, right. And, and your proximity to others and what you're learning in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the last couple of years, Ray, man, you've been, uh, you've been put to work <laughs> you've been, you've been doing some things, man. And you can tell that there's a burden and a passion that's stirring in you. Uh, and so you created this organization and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast, uh, called the Asian American Christian collaborative. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? What are some things uh, that you're doing with that collaborative and, and what are things you're hoping to accomplish, uh, with this mission? Yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for highlighting, um, the work that we've been doing. It's, it's been quite interesting. Um, so in the middle of the pandemic, for those who aren't aware, uh, there was a huge spike in, uh, anti-Asian violence and racism, uh, that really swept through the country. And it's actually still taking place, uh, well into 2021, uh, to this day. Um, and it hasn't really slowed down, even though it's slowed down in the media, sure. um, and the, and the, and the media coverage of, of it. Um, but uh, we started seeing the same kind of attitudes that emerge from the virus being called the, from COVID nineteen or the novel coronavirus being called the Kung flu, the China flu, or to the Wuhan flu, 
um, and how that started uh, trickling into our churches. But knowing that the history of Asian Americans in this country is anytime that we were perceived to be a threat or a a viol- or a virus to this country, so we were often called we were called yellow peril at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, that we would be uh, that that. Oftentimes, it would either lead to mass incarceration, mass exclusion, or even mass violence. And so um, several friends and I, we started talking about this, and we started seeing the same rhetoric that we heard from our former president uh, emerge out of the mouths of uh, church leaders and Christian leaders, uh, even within our own congregations, uh, who... uh, thought they were making jokes or who thought that, you know, people, the Asians were making too big of a deal with some of the stories that were coming out, including children getting stabbed uh, with their family because they were a Burmese family, what's perceived to be Chinese walking out of a a store and they were stabbed. Uh, Someone else was basically an elderly woman was kicked in the face as she was just waiting at a bus stop. Someone was lit on fire. And so stories that kept coming on out mm-hmm. and we were like, no, this is actually pretty bad and you shouldn't be adding fuel yeah, to the flame. And, and basically, um, uh, encouraging, uh, racism to continue to spread. So with that said, um, we, we released a statement uh, that got a, a significant amount of traction. I think we had well over 10,000 signatures in the first month from a lot of major evangelical leaders and organizations throughout the country. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and non-evangelical leaders and organizations as well. So, but, but they were all Christian. And so we were, we were pretty amazed. And this actually kind of fit with a hypothesis or a, a kind of a, this, this theory I've been working with is that you know, Asian Americans are actually well positioned to bring everyone to the table and to keep everyone at the table, right? Sure. Because our histories show that we've been in multiple types of spaces where we were the minority in black neighborhoods, we were the minority in Latino neighborhoods, we were the minority in white neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because of that, you know, it it shaped our ability to to understand like what the nuances of kind of each racial yeah. uh, group kind of uh, uh, maybe possessed, even though within each group, there's a significant amount of diversity as well. Sure. Um, and so, uh, bec- and then also because people have been asking me for years, hey, can we start something for Asian American Christians? Uh, one of the things I regularly said was maybe not now, but in, in the future. And the reason I said that was because I knew that uh, in the broader kind of racial imagination, um, because Asians and Latinos are, are perceived as perpetual foreigners mm. and because, especially for Asians, we are uh, orientalized um, and, and, and viewed as like this perpetual other category. Um, one of the things I, I, I consistently notice is that it's, 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 it's like a, it's, it's like pushing a rock up a hill just to get people sure. to care about Asian American issues, including fellow Asian Americans. Wow. And so yeah. because of the, the significant amount of uh, the significant response we got to the petition or the, to the, to the statement uh, on anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19, which people could still read and it would still be helpful uh, on our website at Asian American Christian collaborative.com. Yep. Um, you know, we, we just, 
started to formalize. And then ever since then, we've been doing a lot of work to try to build bridges between uh, the African-American community to the Latin American community to continue to encourage our white brothers and sisters to to think about race in more complex and robust ways, yeah. uh, as well as uh, actually being invited by multiple kind of um, non-Christian entities, as well as governmental agencies uh, uh, to participate in, in, in different efforts. So for example, I'm in Chicago right now and I'm on a, I'm, I'm on a, a, on a committee to try to tackle racism. And the reason that they invited me was because they saw the work that we were doing wow. uh, here in Chicago and we're like, Hey, it might be helpful to have a faith perspective here. Yeah, and yeah. so I, the, the thought, the thought that came to mind was, Oh, they, they see our good deeds and are praising mm-hmm. our God and father in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and one of the ways that they're doing that is by inviting us to a table that we might not have always been welcome to. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. Racial reconciliation or ethnic reconciliation, right. Doesn't have a home, right. It's, it's something that has to permeate all, all things, government, uh, society, culture, the church. Right. Uh, and so it, it really warms my heart, man, to see, uh, you know, Chicago taking a notice and seeing your work and being like, yo, you from a faith perspective, like we need that here, you know, talking about having a faithful presence, uh, I think that's how you can have a faithful presence uh, there where you are. Uh, but what we also know, right, in terms of racial reconciliation, these kind of efforts you guys are doing with the collaborative and uh, being spoken to and asked to come and do things by the government, uh, we also know that there's often a time where you're going to run into uh, a brick wall, <laughs> right? Because what inevitably tends to happen is that these efforts get hard, uh, they're difficult, and, and no one's shying away from that, right? But oftentimes with the difficulty and and, and how hard it is, uh, we tend to just stop, right? And so like racial reconciliation, it's it's a very difficult thing, uh, but it's but it's not a very complicated thing. <laughs> you know, it's 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 really just costly. Uh, when I say just costly, but but that but that cost is often is often high. But there's so many people that ask the question, uh, what can I do? And I say that this is a question of complication. You know, the can, like, what can I do is a, is a question of complication. This is a hard thing. Uh, you know, what is there to even do? But I think that the, the, the question has to be more of a question of cost, which turns that question into what am I willing to do? You know, and so as we as we think about racial reconciliation in that way, my last question I want to toss to you, uh, Ray, is uh, what are some of these costs uh, from your experience that need to be counted uh, to see the outcomes that we want to see? I think that the biggest cost and you're absolutely right. I, uh, I think that the biggest cost is going to be ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just find that. Uh, that there is so much learning that needs to be taken that that needs to be taken place. I mean, first of all, uh, just on a theological level to move out of a hyper individualistic reading of scripture to a more Mm -hmm. communal reading of scripture, which is the baseline reading of scripture because it was both written to and written from a communal perspective. Come Come on. Like how many times you see in the Bible that the, the you in the scriptures is actually a plural you and the, and that the, you know, that the, the kind of 
the call to faith is about being a part of a body or becoming a part of the church and that the primary social unit is not your immediate family. It's not the nation. It's not the club that you love being a part of, but it's actually the church and it's, yeah. it's the church universal. Uh, and that our local expressions of the church are supposed to look like that or are supposed to reflect the, 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 the universal church and more importantly uh, to reflect the kingdom of God. Um, I think that there is a sense in which uh, too many Christians uh, in the United States, especially, have been um, sold a bill of goods that made them conclude that that church is uh, supposed to feel more like a country club than it's supposed to feel like you know you working in a field yeah. hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that it's and and because of that, uh, I think that it caters to too much comfort and too much, um, uh, what would you say? Just basically, uh, of, of the broader racialized status quo of the world, uh, sure. in a way that it emerges within the church. Uh, so I think that that's one thing. I think the other thing is that I think it's going to, it's going to cost position, um, yeah, because, wow. uh, people of color, especially African Americans and, and Latinos and, and Asians uh, will oftentimes bring forward different ways of knowing, being, and doing uh, that actually enhances the body of Christ uh, within predominantly white spaces. Um, uh, it's going to be a challenge to uh, to many who think that they've kind of arrived at some like, oh, we finally established a great culture. Uh, yeah. Only to realize that the culture that they've established only serves a certain segment of the population and those wow, who are wow. comfortable assimilating into that segment of the population. Uh, and, and so it's not actually for the whole body. It's only for a part of the body. And oftentimes because, you know, as we see happening all throughout history, white flight is a reality both in and out of the church. Yep. Uh, one of the things that I regularly talk to different organizations and churches about is how... Um, you can't be afraid of white flight, but you need to be actively discipling people not to leave when Come their on. comforts are catered to. Come uh, because so many organizations, they especially like college, even college, uh, college ministries, um, they say somewhere between like when it becomes more than like 40% diverse, mm -hmm. all the white students will leave. Mm -hmm. Right? How does that happen? Why does that happen? When yep. another expression is normalized, uh, or when another expression is enfolded into the and integrated into the the the, the kind of the the baseline, it, it makes enough people uncomfortable to say, "Oh, this feels uh, like it's no longer the Christianity that they're comfortable with." Mm -hmm. And this is why I think having a global perspective on, on the church is important. I think the other other piece of cost beyond uh, ego and um, uh, and and uh, and 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 taking and holding positions, which I, I mean, one, I don't know if anyone's ever done this, but I've spoken at enough conferences, uh, especially diverse conferences, uh, that I've said, you know, if you're the senior pastor of a church, I understand the significance of what you know, you've done, especially if you're, you know, you've led for a long time, but, um, what would it look like if you took the second chair role in a way that did never undermine the person that was going to take the first mm -hmm. chair role yeah. so that new things could change into making sure that they also have elders and deacons that yeah. aren't going to try to subvert uh, their efforts to expanding the table in, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that uh, it's going to cost people, but I think um, it's a lot easier if you, if people learned how 
to, to be comfortable being the minority in any space, right? Sure. I mean, like in some spaces you're going to be the majority, some places you're going to be the minority, but yeah. if you're the majority in every space that you're in, you're probably being deformed in some ways that, um, that it's not healthy for your own spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, which is what leads to this country club Christianity. Yeah, that's good. That's good, man. So, so rich. I appreciate that insight, man. Um, well, Pastor Raymond, it's been <laughs> our 30 minutes have come and gone, man. I really appreciate your time on here. And I want to, I want to honor your time and your schedule. Um, and, but we are so thankful uh, that you joined us and said yes to this and uh, have blessed us and our audience uh, with this time. I'm taking a ton away from this. And I know a lot of our listeners will as well. Uh, man, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jared. Appreciate your ministry. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. So look, thank you guys for tuning in to the Ambassador Podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to discussing more topics in the coming weeks. Uh, We hope for you listeners that this has been a helpful resource, and we encourage you to visit our website at www.weareambassador.com, where we have some resources for you to dive into. Um, And head over to the website to send us an email or engage in conversation with us. Uh, Sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive frequent updates, or you can even partner with us now financially as we look to plant and support healthy multi-ethnic churches with the next generation focus man thank you guys again for listening and we'll be back soon thank you for listening to the ambassador podcast if you would like to hear more episodes or get more information about the ambassador please check out our website at www.weareambassador.com